Good morning. It's, it's great to see uh, at the start of the service there were lots of sort of empty seats and I think that maybe some people were a bit late. It's amazing what happens when mum's in bed getting breakfast and uh, the house isn't being organised to get out the door on time to, to church. So it's wonderful to see that you all made it here and I assume that it's because of you know bacon and eggs or something like that uh, in bed for breakfast. We've just been in our family recovering from a stomach bug, so the smell of bacon this morning would have been uh, not the right thing to do. Um, but a wonderful welcome to you all. Uh, my name's Sandy. I'm one of the ministry team here. One of the few left standing, actually half of them have jetted off to the UK, uh, including Pat, who managed to sneak away for his 60th birthday uh, over the weekend. So that was a very sneaky move. Uh, and we'll have to feel free to you know, send him a message on, on social media. Um, well, we would just love to extend a very special welcome to all the mothers uh, in this morning, and uh, I'd just like to take the opportunity in, in our service to celebrate and to honour anyone who calls himself a mum this morning. So if you're a mum, can I ask you to please just stand for a few moments, and uh, your children are here to you know, give, you a, give you a nudge. We have some gifts that we'd love to um, distribute to you this morning, just to say thank you for who you are, for everything that you do. Now we recognise that the role of a mother is, is very comprehensive and then there are some people who might fit the role of, fulfil the role of a mother without fulfilling the definition. So if that's you as well, if you're a spiritual mother, if you are encouraging and nurturing and, and comforting others, then please feel free to, to stand up as well. And of course there are those who are uh, not yet mothers and if you are an expectant mother or if you are uh, somebody who hopes to be a mother, uh, in the future, then we would love to share this gift and to, to bless you and on you this morning as well. So please feel free to stand up. Those gifts will be making their way uh, around. Now, being a mum is one of the toughest jobs out there, and I'm sure that all of these incredible women standing here would tell you <laughs> that that's the case that both some of the most difficult and some of the most rewarding moments of their life have come from uh, being a mother. And if you've received your gift, I would love for you to just stay standing for a moment, please, because thank you. We would love to just pray a blessing over you. Uh, but these are, are people who don't seek the limelight and they don't seek recognition for their efforts, usually, but we get to honour them today. And anyone can aspire to be a world changer but the women standing with us this morning are world makers. And it was through Eve, who Eve became the mother of all creation, and uh, these incredible women here this morning have continued that uh, creative work in making the world that we live in. Without them, there would be no world to change, and so we are incredibly grateful. In addition to the little gifts that you've received, we'd love to pray a blessing over you this morning. So for the rest of us, if you affirm what is uh, being said and prayed, then I would love for you to just uh, reach out your hand in faith and agreement. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these mothers. We thank you uh, as the one who created motherhood and who purposed it to bless your creation. We express our gratitude for giving these special women to us, for the nurturing influence they've had on each of our lives. We thank you for the uncountable time that they have spent caring for and raising children, for the planning and forethought they've invested into others so that they may flourish, for the wisdom, comfort, nourishment, encouragement, instruction and love they've provided, and for each of their unique personalities which they've imprinted on us as their family.
Lord, we recognise any for whom Mother's Day is a sore reminder of relationships lost, expectations unmet or hopes unrealised. We pray your healing and comforting hand on their hearts this morning, that you would be near them in any grief and that you would meet them where they are and that you would bring peace and joy and blessing in that moment. Lord, we honour and cherish these women here today and we pray profound and lasting blessing over them this morning that they would all know the wonderful promises of your word in their lives, that they would sense your eternal presence with them always, that you would fill them with your joy and peace, guide them, strengthen them, sustain them always. We pray, Father, the blessing of daily bread over them, that in the often mundane, invariably necessary devotion of raising children, making meals, organising households, balancing work, you would be their constant source. Provide them with grace every day in the form of energy, patience, and perseverance. We pray, Lord Jesus, the blessing that came from the miracle at the wedding at Cana, that the influence of a mother who saw a need and who acted, who cared for people and who invested confidence in you, as well as encouragement in her son, was able to see you make those ordinary things holy. Lord, that the daily routines and cares of a mother, like the water in jars of clay, would turn into rich, flowing wine which brings joy and celebration, which creates memories and which all points to the glory of God. Would you redeem every tear, every drop of sweat, every aching joint, every stressful minute, and turn them into the bricks and mortar of a family home which knows love and security. We pray, Holy Spirit, the blessing of fruitfulness over them, that those whose wombs have been closed would be opened by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray for the fruit of faith, that these women standing here would be spoken of in the same breath as the faithful women of old who trusted you in all situations and who saw your glory. We pray for the fruit of your Spirit, that these women would be ever-growing examples of peace, joy, love, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control, and all that you promised to make us into by the power of your Holy Spirit. And finally, Lord, we entrust them to you. Keep them close to yourself. Clothe them with the presence of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I have a good friend who is an excellent musician. He's an acoustic guitar player, and as you're probably aware, mastering an instrument takes many years of practice, many hours of devotion and dedication. Usually that happens when you're growing up, when you're a child and when you're in high school, when you have the time and the room in your life to put your whole heart into learning something and being devoted there. It's very difficult, as I'm sure all of us appreciate, as an adult, to pick up something new and to give the required output, devotion, to actually master that thing. The busyness of life tends to divide our hearts rather than allow us to be wholeheartedly devoted to any one thing. But this friend demonstrated what was possible when you really were devoting your whole heart to something. He decided one day that he wanted to learn the drums. And so what he did was he bought a drum kit and he went to his uncle's property, which was a, a rural property, uh, while his uncle was overseas. He was house-sitting, and there was no uh, internet, no real connection with the outside world, so to speak of. Uh, he took his drum kit out there, and he was all by himself. And he spent three weeks 
uh, as far as I can tell, spending every waking minute devoting himself to learning how to play the drums. And when he came back, you would not be able to tell the difference between him and somebody who'd been playing drums for 10, 15 years. It was unbelievable. And not just he was able to play a few different rhythms, his, his feel was impeccable, his dynamics were musical, his timing was rock solid. It was just unbelievable what he was able to achieve in, in just a matter of three weeks of being devoted with all of his heart, all of his energy to that one pursuit. And in this world that we live in, it's, it's very difficult for us to do that with anything, to be able to strip away our, our life to the point where we can wholeheartedly pursue one thing. And so I find Jesus' words very challenging, which are recorded in uh, the three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, where he says that the most important commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And I wonder, how do those words sit with you? How have they sat with you? Do they inspire you to a, to a deep sense of devotion? Because I think if we were to take a poll this morning of the people who feel like they are serving God right now wholeheartedly, maybe not many of us would feel like we could put our hand up. Because unfortunately, the most apparent way to read this verse actually suggests how far short we fall of being wholeheartedly devoted to God. And so it begs the question, in our lives today, is it possible to be wholeheartedly devoted to God? Well, Jesus is actually quoting a verse that appears in Deuteronomy. So way back in the beginning of your Bible, Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's part of uh, what is often referred to as the Pentateuch, which means the first five books of the Bible. Go figure. But it's the moment when Moses is actually giving the law to the people of Israel, when God is establishing a covenant relationship with them. In the same way that marriage is a covenant relationship, right? It's, it's a promise between two parties to engage in, in relationship in a particular way. God is entering into covenant relationship with his people, Israel, and so he's giving them his promises, and he is getting them to say their promises to him. And so in Deuteronomy, 11 times, this concept of serving God with your whole heart appears. And we have a, a couple of them uh, as an example for you. And I find it incredible that in this moment in the Old Testament where you would think that it's all pretty boring, it, right? It's just law. We have some of these really quite emotional statements on God's behalf. And we see that from the very outset, God's desire for relationship with his people is to be wholeheartedly devoted to him as he is wholeheartedly devoted to us. His desire is that our inclinations and our affections are for him and are deep and are ever increasing. And so he says that they should love him with all of their heart, soul, and strength. And there's a promise that it will go well for them and for their children. And he reveals his heart that he wants to be their people. He said, I will be their God and they will be my people. And how did that go? Does anyone know? Not very well. From about minute one, Moses comes down from the mountain and finds them in idol worship, worshiping this image of a golden calf rather than serving God wholeheartedly. 
Psalm 86, verse 11 to 12 says this, and, and look, if you're not in, in the, the rhythm or, or the habit of memorizing scripture, I would encourage you to, to take this moment, maybe to try and internalize this one and to memorize it. It's incredibly valuable and it's a very easy verse to do. And by the end of today, this is actually gonna be our prayer for ourselves. Psalm 86, 11 to 12 says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And there are a couple of interesting implications from this verse. The first one is that our heart can be divided. That it's possible that our heart is actually separated into pieces rather than being whole in the first place, rather than being devoted wholeheartedly to God. But the second implication here is that the desire to have a whole heart can still exist when our heart is divided. Can you see that implication? That the psalmist wants to be wholeheartedly devoted to God even though they sense that there are things trying to divide them. And so we need to keep in check to see whether our hearts are divided or whether they are wholeheartedly towards God. Now, there was an experiment in the people of Israel's history, an experiment where they decided that they wanted a king. So they asked God for one, and God reluctantly eventually gives in to them. And so this experiment starts because from the law, from, from Deuteronomy through uh, Joshua, Judges, they didn't really do too well at this serving God with their whole heart thing. And so the experiment begins, how are they going to go with a king? With somebody leading them, are they going to be able to be devoted to God wholeheartedly? Well, across the books which record the kings, which are First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, there are 27 references to this idea of a whole heart. And it's very interesting because it goes from focusing on is the whole heart of Israel towards God to is the heart of the king towards God. Because ultimately, it's the heart of the king that kind of reflects and leads the people into their devotion of God, whether it is wholehearted or whether their heart is turned away towards other things, or whether they are devoted to God but not with their whole heart. There are a couple of instances of those. So how did this experiment go? Well, it went okay for the, for the first, well, actually for the second king. For David, of, uh, the, well, how many kings were there? There were, there were 22 kings in Judah. There were 19 kings in Israel. And there were three kings who ruled over those two uh, before they were divided, right? So uh, Saul, David, and Solomon. So all up, that's 44 kings. How many of those 44 kings could be described or are described in the Bible as in any way good kings? Guess Three or four, pretty good guess. Eight of them are described as being good kings. Of those eight, how many are described as serving God with a whole heart? The, just the four, right? There's, there's David, there's Asa, there's uh, Hezekiah, and there's Josiah. But if you look at the whole kingdom of Israel and of Judah, that's a very poor result, a very poor result. And so we start to see the, the books of the prophets begin to promise a whole heart 
begin to promise that God is going to actually solve this problem by giving a heart to Israel, giving a new heart and a unified heart to Israel. And so in five of the different prophetic books, we have this promise. And in Jeremiah chapter 32, the promise looks like this. It says, Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And so you can see in the promise of that verse that God is actually promising to give his people as a whole one heart, one united heart that is together, that is inclined towards him. And I think it's fairly easy for us to understand as Christians that that happens at the moment we receive the Holy Spirit. That when the Holy Spirit came upon Christians and they were given a new heart and God's presence within them, that they are suddenly and uniquely unified. And we've been going through in the book of Acts in the evening, if you've uh, been coming to our evening services. Uh, if you haven't, I would encourage you to, to look up those messages. They are online. Uh, they're all good, um, except for last week's. It went a bit long. It's a pretty long-winded preacher, so um, we'll, we'll try and fix that. But in the book of Acts, we see that there are a number of statements where they, they describe how unified the people were. And it's the result of them receiving the Spirit and being knitted together as one people. And we actually have a reference early on which says that they were of one heart. So that's a direct fulfillment of this verse in Jeremiah. You know, I find it very interesting that we as, as people in, in the Christian church can get so divided from each other, can get so separated and, and so taken off really what is the main drive, the main goal, the main push forward. And we see in the book of Acts that there's incredible power, incredible blessing, that the gospel is going forth and is having incredible results. There's also opposition, but nothing can stand in the way of that gospel moving forward because the people of God are united. They are totally together, totally one. Their heart is for God and it is to love him and serve him with all of their heart, soul, strength and mind. And maybe it's a good moment for us to just pause and think, why do we come to church? Is it because we like the coffee? Is it because the seats are comfy? I've been in uncomfortable church seats before. These ones aren't too bad. Is it because we like the people? Is it because we, we think that the worship is great? Or we think that the worship isn't great and we would like it to change? Are we coming to church because we are devoted to God wholeheartedly? Because what we want on a Sunday is for God to show up and for us to, to sing to him our devotion to say, you know what, God, sometimes I don't get it right, but I want you with my whole heart and I want to love you with everything that I have. Because the church is doing what God wants it to when we are wholeheartedly devoted. And that's when he comes along and he uh, provides, he, he blesses, he's abundantly present with his spirit. And we should be seeking that as a church, to be wholeheartedly devoted to him as a people together. Another one of these promises comes in Ezekiel chapter 11, a very famous passage which says, and I will give them 
one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. So again, we have reiterated the promise that he's going to give his people one heart and we also have reiterated his deep desire that he should be the, our God and that we will be his people, that there's a deep longing for relationship. But in that verse, he also promises that every believer will receive a new heart. And the Bible describes somebody who doesn't believe in God, who doesn't know God, as having a, a stony heart, a heart of stone, one that is incapable of feeling affections for God and one that will not be moved by God. And I think that all of us can relate to having a broken heart at some point in our lives, whether that's through broken relationships or whether that's through some external trauma or some event. Whatever it might be, I think that everybody tends to pursue one of two avenues to try and solve the fact that you know, all of us know deep down that there is some brokenness in our heart. And the first one is to try and heal it through our own means, whether that's through developing a relationship with a significant other, or whether that's through even doing good works as a way of trying to, to fulfill or to heal or, or to undo the hurt that we have to try and make it better for other people as a way to fix what's actually going on inside. And then the other way, the other extreme is that we try and numb our heart and we pursue dangerous behaviours or, or addictive behaviours, or we pursue achievement and, and status and wealth. And actually what we're doing is trying to numb our heart from feeling what we know is the brokenness that's there. And see, God says that our problem is that our heart is a heart of stone. And that if we are going to come to God, if we're going to serve Him at all, and even if we're going to have a whole heart, He needs to give us a new one. And so the promise for you here today, if you are someone who doesn't know Jesus, he says that if you will give your heart of stone to him, that he will replace it with a heart of flesh, one that is capable of loving God, one that is capable of feeling love from God, and one that is whole and one that is healthy to be able to love those around. And if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then that offer is here for you this morning. That if you come to Jesus and you give him your heart, he will give you a new heart. But it's the same for people who believe in God, people who are Christians, who have received that. It is that God is working to make our heart whole. You see why these promises come up in these prophetic books is that God knew that we actually couldn't serve him with a whole heart. That there was no way for us to be wholeheartedly devoted to him. Why? Because our hearts were not whole in the first place. Because our hearts were continually divided by the various things that seek to take us away from God, by the things that our hearts are inclined towards, and by the things that we let invade and take control of our hearts. And so God purposed not to force us to love him and to serve him against our will and to follow a set of rules that don't make sense, but he purposed to give us a new heart, to make our hearts whole. 
You see, God knew that when he entered into a covenant relationship with Israel, he was going to uphold his end of the bargain. Israel wasn't going to uphold their end of the, bar- of the bargain. So in the long term, God was going to uphold both. He was going to make it possible for us to live in perfect relationship with him. Isn't that incredible? God does all the work. And so God promised to give us a new heart. And so we return to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, where he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And I find it very interesting the way that this looks in our English translations, because you would get the impression that all four of those dimensions of human being, human existence, heart, soul, strength, and mind, the way that this is translated, you would get the impression that all of them appear the same in the original language, that it's just one after the other, when in fact there are two different prepositions used in the original language. And so a better way, a more literal way, which, you know, it it wouldn't make too much sense uh, in English, but the way that you would understand what's actually going on underneath this is if it was translated, love the Lord your God from your whole heart, in your whole soul, in your whole strength, and in your whole mind. And you see, I believe that that is a very deliberate variation because there's the acknowledgement that loving God needs to come from a heart that is whole in the first place. Loving God wholeheartedly is only possible when your heart is made whole to begin with. And so this is actually a reiteration of that promise that we see all through the narrative of the Old Testament, that God is working to give us a whole heart in order that we might love him wholeheartedly. How can we love with a whole heart when the heart that each of us has is itself divided in pieces. You know, there are many reasons that a heart might be divided. Anything that that can function as an idol can seek to take away our hearts from God, and we could spend a lot more time than we've got today to, to talk into many different things. But as I was seeking God through this passage, I felt that there were two things that are relevant for us to discuss a bit this morning uh, that are potentially dividing hearts. The first one is money, and the second one is fear and worry. And those two things are separate mechanisms in how they actually seek to divide our heart. Because money seeks to divide our heart like a magnet. It seeks to pull us away and to pull portions of our heart away from God and towards it so that we end up serving it and being attracted to it, magnetically pulled to it, rather than towards God. But fear and worry works a little bit differently. Fear and worry works like a knife which cuts through portions of our heart seeking to separate it from the blood and from the life that comes through the heart until that peace is taken away, disconnected from the blood flow, slowly turning gray, feeding on fear and worry with no hint of God's presence, slowly dying until it is reattached to the whole heart. And so let's discuss each of those in turn this morning. Firstly, money. Now, if you're new this morning, you should know that we don't make a habit here about preaching about money. We're a very uh, generous congregation here, and uh, we live in a very blessed area. The church at large can develop a very poor reputation when it comes to money. 
but you should know that this is not a giving or a tithing sermon. I'm not preaching to your wallets. I'm preaching to your hearts because what you do with your wallet is of no business of mine. But what your wallet says about your heart is a very significant concern to God. And the second thing that you should know is that I'm not just speaking to the wealthy. Because it doesn't matter the size of your bank account or the size of your paycheck, money can be dividing your heart from God. And so this message is just as relevant in the hills of Brookfield and Kenmore and Chapel Hill as it is in the outer postcodes and even in the slums of the third world. Because the truth is, some people are divided in their heart by the problems of money. And other people can be divided in their heart by the promises of money. We can spend all of our time fixated on how money can be a savior and how money can solve the problems that we have in our life instead of relying on God to provide, to protect, to sustain. And we can also seek after the promises of money, of significance, of status, of importance, of comfort, which God says, you need to be trusting me for all of those things. And so it can go either way. And I think that what it might look like this morning if somebody's heart is divided by God, sorry, if somebody's heart is uh, divided by money, is that in the quiet moments when we are by ourselves and our mind turns to the problems of our life and we think about just how much a little more money could solve that or a little more money could make things easier or take away those struggles and those challenges. And in that moment, we don't invite God into that space and say, you know what, God, you are Lord of everything. Money comes under you. Or in those moments, we spend our time thinking about how maybe just a little more might bring us to that next level of comfort or of status or of importance or of influence or of possessions instead of saying to God, you know what, I'm incredibly grateful and out of my gratitude, I wanna bless you and serve you with what you've given me. It's a matter for, for you and the Holy Spirit to figure out in your own life. But what's the solution? How do we undo the influence of money as something dividing our heart? Well, how do you undo the influence of a magnet? How do you reverse the influence of a magnet? I grew up in a, a period of time where every sci-fi show and every uh, you know, kid's slightly science-y superhero show all had the same solution to all of their science-y problems. The story would go that the, the hero and their, their band of friends fight their way through whatever you know, stronghold of, of the, the, the evil guy and they get to this one machine that the evil guy is trying to use to take over the world or blow up the world or, or shrink everybody or you know, cover the world in, in toilets. I think that was one book I read recently to my daughter. Uh, and then they're like, what's, how do we fix this? What, what's the solution? This machine is, is gonna do all this. And then you know the, the, the science-y friend in them says, oh, I've got it. You just need to reverse the polarity. Does anyone remember that? And it seemed to solve every single problem. It made sense as a kid until I realized that basically that's like just turning the battery upside down, right? But if you'll allow me to just pursue this incredibly trivial example, it really works in this situation. 
Okay, because what, what's happening when you, when you reverse the polarity is that you, you turn the poles upside down so that what it was normally attracted to, it now repels. And in fact, what it was repelled from now, it is attracted to. And so if your heart is turned towards money as taking you away from God, then what you need to do is to reverse, to rewire that part of your heart so that it comes back under God. And let me say the Bible has a word for this. It's called repentance. Because repentance is literally metanoia, changing your mind, turning around, coming back to God, rewiring that part of your heart to say, I'm no longer going to serve that, I'm going to serve God. And you know, an incredible thing happens in that moment because it's not just your heart that does the flip, but the money does the flip as well. And instead of you actually serving that money, now money in your life starts to serve God. And I think that a lot of people have a fear that if they don't let God into, into their finances and if they don't let God into their questions and their concerns and their dreams and their hopes about money, that if they, if they somehow do let God in, then, then God's going to say, give it all away. It's, it's going it's to disappear. But can I say that often the opposite is true. And I've seen this work out in so many people's lives that once they realize how to actually serve God with a whole heart, which includes the way that God has blessed them, it turns into profound blessing for them personally, inwardly, and outwardly for the people of God and for God's church. And quite often, God trusts that person with more in order to be generous, in order to bless. Because God is after us serving him with a whole heart. You know what the quickest way as a Christian to make your money disappear is? Is to turn it into an idol. Because God will not have an idol sit on his throne in your heart. And so, no matter which end of the spectrum we might be on, whether it's being divided by the problems or the promises of money, the solution is repentance, to rewire that part of our heart so that it comes back and that with a whole heart we can serve God. And you know, the second one is fear and worry. And this one operates like a knife as the fear comes in, normally what it means is that there's some lie that we have let into our heart, that we've believed about God, which makes a cut and separates that part of our heart from the whole so that it has no sustenance, no life. And so that can be a lie like God is not looking after you. God is not working to solve this problem. God is not working to make you more like him, to bring blessing into your life. Or this trauma, this evil has come from God. God is punishing me. Or, you know, God is working in my life, but I can't really trust where it's going. Whatever lie there might be that makes its way into your heart, it is separating that part of your heart from the whole so that it is actually impossible for you to serve God wholeheartedly because that is feeding on fear and feeding on worry. And the only way for that to be solved is through a surgical reattachment. And the only heart surgeon who is capable of doing that is God by his Holy Spirit to bring healing into our hearts. 
And as we bring that piece of our heart back, we need to undo that lie which has separated and God needs to stitch it together with his truth. With the truth that is that actually God is working together for good in all things for those who love him who are called according to his purpose. That God is your provider. That God does have for you a hope and a future. That nothing is coming to you that you are not able to withstand, but God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. And if that's you this morning, if you know that there are some things, some lies, or you are maybe just recognizing now that you've allowed part of your heart to be cut away by lies that are not from God, then God wants to make your heart whole this morning. God always wants to bring wholeness and healing to your heart. And so you need to allow his truth to restore that because it's as we come with faith in that truth that those stitches together somehow result in actually a heart that has stronger blood flow to that area. It experiences the joy of testimony, of coming through that and knowing that God is good and that God has healed. And Noah, I'll just invite you up. Where does this leave us this morning? Jesus said that we need to serve God from a whole heart. God recognized that we couldn't love him wholeheartedly because our hearts were not whole. And so he promised, promised to give us a new heart if we aren't a Christian. And he promises to unite our hearts together as a church, as one. And he promises to heal and restore hearts which are broken this morning. And so as we end our service, you might find that you, you sit in either of these three categories. That either you're someone who doesn't know God, and yet you've, you've always walked around with a sense knowing that there is something more. That there is a, a creator who is in charge of, of the beauty of this, this world around us and who is seeking people and who wants to bring them to himself. Because from the very beginning, what God was after was deep relationship, connection and love and affection. But you've also recognized that there's something broken within, that there's a heart of stone that has experienced difficulty and, and trouble. Well, if that's you this morning, then you need to come to Jesus. You need to give him your heart, and he promises to give you a new heart. And if that's you this morning, then, then I'm just going to be just down the front here in, in this first row. And I would love for you to make your way forward during the worship. And I would love to, to pray with you. Or you can do that in your own seat where you are. God still hears you. Or perhaps you're someone who recognizes that there are things which are drawing away part of your heart like a magnet. That they are taking the place of God in your life. And that that part of your heart needs to be rewired and brought back to God. And you need to come to Him in repentance. Then would you make that response in your own heart? You can do that where you are. Even as we sing and as we pray, you can do that where you are. Or maybe you're someone who knows that there's sections of your heart that have been cut away by fear and worry. Don't let today go without God coming into that and bringing healing and wholeness to your heart. 
And so if that's you, we have a prayer team who will be over the side here during the worship who would really love to pray with you through that. Often it's a, it's a special type of ministry that, that seeks to bring uh, inner healing and discover where those lies have, have made their way in. But if you want a whole heart this morning, then that's what's open to us. And just as we all close our eyes now and we respond to God in prayer, we're going to ask God as a people that He would be saying and praying Psalm 86, verse 11 and 12 over us this morning. And in fact, I've asked you to close your eyes, but if you would like to say this with me, if you want this over you, then would you say this with me? Psalm 86, 11 and 12. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Let's pray this morning. Lord God, we ask that you would come here and give us a whole heart. Lord, we recognize that this has been your desire from the beginning, that we would be a people wholeheartedly devoted to you, united together as a church, not just here in Kenmore, but around the world, different languages, different cultures, different ages, different preferences of how things look like, but united in our pursuit of the kingdom of God, of loving you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our minds. God, would you give us that whole heart this morning? And God, if there are hearts here that are not whole, that are divided for whatever reason, would you come and would you meet us in that space and would you heal? Would you bring wholeness? Would you bring that whole heart that you've promised? Give us an undivided heart, Lord. And God, I just sense that there are some people here who, who do have that desire of Psalm 86, that they want to be wholehearted, And yet there's, there's something being held back. There's a devotion to you that's being blocked by, I don't know, maybe some, some issue of uh, fear or timidity. God, would you just release that this morning? Release whatever is, is stopping us from being wholeheartedly devoted to you. Whether that means we need to sing a little louder this morning, lifting our hands or shouting praise to you. God, more than anything, we want to be wholeheartedly devoted to you. Give us a whole heart so that we may give it all to you this morning. Worship you in all of our strength, with all of our mind, with everything that you've made us to be. Thank you, Lord Jesus.